invite you to turn to John, uh, to John. I've been in John the last two weeks, to Philippians chapter 4. If you'll turn there with me. The growing disciple must learn to live in the power of God and not in his own strength or her own strength. The word power, interesting word, the Greek word dunamis, appears 119 times in the New Testament. One of these usages is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're familiar with that verse, aren't you? You shall receive power. You shall receive dunamis. That's the same word that gives us our English word dynamite, dynamic. Uh, we, we take that word from, uh, from dunamis. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the same dynamic power that raised Jesus from the dead and brought him back to life. Now this power in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is given for what purpose? Luke's very specific. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my pew-sitters. You shall be my spiritual couch potatoes. You shall be my spectators on the sidelines. You shall be my witnesses. Jesus entrusted the entire future of Christianity to a handful. And He still entrusted with us today. This power was given so that we shall be witnesses. Did you purposefully, intentionally share the gospel with somebody this week? Or at least have a gospel conversation with somebody in which your conversation pointed them to Jesus? Or at least planted seeds of the gospel? Paul used this same word dunamis in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, when he wrote to the church in Philippi that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, his dunamis of his resurrection. Paul wanted greater intimacy with Jesus Christ, his Lord, and he wanted resurrection power to energize his life. And then several verses later, Paul made one of the most positive, inspiring statements recorded in all of Scripture. We find that in our passage today in Philippians chapter 4 as we think about God's strength for daily living. Realize God not only gives power for His people to witness, but He gives power to face whatever life brings us every day. He gives us His strength to persevere. Do you need that strength for the challenges of everyday living? Boy, I sure do. So let's read this morning, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, as we think about God's strength for daily living. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. You realize we're joining Paul in, in mid-thought here. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to live, how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What do we see here? Well, first of all, God gives me strength to live in Christ. One of the interesting things about Philippians is in the 104 verses of Philippians, the names Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, Jesus, Christ, Lord and Savior, are found in some form, some combination, 51 times in 104 verses. Every time we turn around, Paul is pointing us to Jesus. 
and reminding us of our personal relationship with Jesus if we know Him as our Savior. Throughout the letter, we find Paul's hallmark phrase, in Christ, used to describe the spiritual union that takes place when a person comes to Christ. Paul would say that someone, when someone is saved, they are now in Christ. They are united in Christ. There is a spiritual union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had already described how Jesus was the sole focus of his life. You remember what he said in chapter 1, verse 21. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Then he wrote in chapter 3, verse 10, as we read a moment ago, that his chief aim was to know Jesus. He didn't want to just know about Jesus. He didn't want to just have a Sunday school knowledge of intellectual gathering of facts. He wanted to know Him personally. And then in chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul wrote that his single focus was to press on toward the mark of Christ's likeness. Wherever Paul was in his relationship with Christ, wherever Paul was in his Christ likeness, he wasn't satisfied. That was just a launching point to, to deeper Christ-likeness, to, to uh, more Christ-likeness, to, to greater Christ-likeness. He wanted to be more like Jesus today than He was yesterday. He wants to be more like Jesus tomorrow than He is today. So He's pressing on toward the mark of Christ-likeness. Then in chapter 4, Paul wrote that we should stand fast or stand firm in the Lord. This verb is used to describe a soldier standing firm in battle. The present tense of this verb calls us to continuously persevere, to continuously be faithful, to be constant, to be steadfast in the Lord. God gives us the strength to stay faithful, to stay in the fray, and while at the same time continue moving forward in our faith. In chapter 4, verse 2, Paul implored two church ladies to be of the same mind in the Lord Jesus. God gives us strength to find unity in the Lord. Can you imagine the Philippian church? Things are going great guns, but Euodia and Syntyche had fallen out with each other. It was affecting the the, uh, fellowship of the church. They were knocking heads. They weren't getting along. And Paul says, you've got to find unity in the Lord. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, Paul commanded us to rejoice in the Lord. He reminded us our ultimate source of joy is not the circumstances of our life, Not the happenings of our life, but Jesus Christ Himself. God gives us joy in Jesus in the hard times that we face in life. And then in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul gives us the key to anxiety-free living. This is a great passage of Scripture. He promises that we can experience the peace of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. God gives us peace when we give Him those concerns and those needs that are bringing about our anxiety. Then in chapter 4, verse 8, Paul said to put your mind on higher things, to keep your mind pure. Do not. It's kind of interesting that we came up with the phrase, you know, his mind is in the gutter. Paul says, don't let your mind be in the gutter. Let your mind be on the higher things of Christ. And then he, he lists those things in chapter 4, verse 8. A great passage of Scripture. Keep your mind pure. God can give us the strength to center our thinking on excellent things rather than negative things. On positive things in Christ rather than on negative things. So so what is the key to all of this that Paul mentions in chapter 4? A growing union with Christ. 
Realizing, as Jesus illustrated, that He is the vine and we are the branches. He is the life giver. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. Daily strength begins with making sure that we are united with Christ, that we have a relationship with Christ, that we first of all, back to the basics, have a personal union with Christ by coming to Him as our Savior. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? As I said a moment ago to these first graders, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of a lifelong pursuit of Christ's likeness, of a lifelong walking with Jesus day in and day out. That's the basics. And then, to continue growing in Christ, to tap into His strength, His dunamis, His power, day in and day out, to live that life of faith through trusting in the Lord. Is your relationship with Jesus Christ growing? Are you the same today as you were last week? Are you making progress in, in your Christ-likeness? Are you, are you living in Christ's strength day by day and not your own strength and your own power? Second, God gives me strength to live with contentment. Look at verses 10 through 12 again. This is interesting. This comes along just several weeks after we preached on contentment from Psalm 23. I shall not want... And we explored exactly what it means from the shepherd's perspective and from the sheep's perspective to, 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 to say, you know, God, you're all I need. Well, look how Paul put it. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, therefore to be content." When I moved to, uh, from Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas to Indianapolis, Indiana to uh, pastor my first pastor at Carmel Baptist Church, uh, you know, I remember circling the interstate, I-465, and there was the exit to St. Louis. And up here was the, the exit to Chicago of all places. I was four hours from Chicago, the Windy City. Over on the east side, I was two and a half hours. I remember, remember the exit to Cincinnati. And I'm thinking, what is this Georgia boy doing up here in all these northern cities? Lord, what have you done sending me up here? And uh, so this lady was real kind. She did a cross-stitch piece, had the state of Indiana outlined on it, and it says, in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. And she was talking about the state of Indiana is what she was talking about. But uh, Paul had to choose contentment also. The Philippian church sent Paul a generous gift. And Paul was so grateful for their generosity. He, he knew they intended to send it. Somehow they were hindered from sending it. And, and, uh, and they, but they had thought about him all along and they remembered him. He was thankful for the gift. But he was especially thankful for the spiritual gain, the blessing that came to them spiritually because of their generosity, because uh, they would receive God's blessing because of their generosity. That's, that's the way Christian giving works. We give because God wants us to give to be more like Him. We are never more like God than when we're giving. Because He gave His all. He gave His Son to us. And He blesses our giving. He blesses our lives when we're generous. Well, look at 4.17. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds 
to your account. Paul wasn't seeking the gift, but he was seeking the spiritual fruit that they would experience and they would gain, like I said, because of their generosity. In, in God's system of sharing and giving, we reap what we sow, and God blesses the generous, cheerful giver. Then Paul made it clear in verses 11 and 12, I've had all sorts of experiences. I've had plenty, and I've been in situations where I had nothing. And I have lived humbly, and I have lived in prosperity. Then Paul made this testimony. I have learned whatever the circumstances, whatever state I am in, I have learned to be content. Let's look at contentment again. We looked at this a few weeks ago. How do you define content? Contentment is an intangible spiritual benefit. An intangible spiritual benefit that comes from experiencing the peace of God in our lives. And the joy of Jesus in our hearts. Do you have the peace of God in our lives? Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So instead of being anxious, pray. And the result of that is, and the peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's the picture of the centryman. S-E-N-T-R-Y, centryman, armed, guarding your heart, marching to and fro around your heart. will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Contentment is an intangible spiritual benefit that comes from experiencing the peace of God in our lives and the joy of Jesus in our hearts. Puritan writer Jeremiah Burroughs defined contentment as that sweet inward quiet, that gracious frame of spirit which freely submits and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal of every condition. Let's note three things about contentment this morning. First of all, contentment is a learned quality that does not come naturally to us. It is not our nature to be content. We're born with a tendency to be what? To be greedy. Are we really satisfied with what we have? Are we really satisfied with where we are? There was a Quaker I read about who put a sign on his house one day that said, I will give this house to any man who can prove to me he is content. After a while, someone knocked on his door and said he saw the sign out front. He wanted to claim the house. He said he was perfectly content. And the Quaker said, well, what do you mean? Elaborate. And he said, I have everything I want. I have all the money I need, everything in life that could satisfy. I am content. And the Quaker came back and said, Friend, if thee is so content, then why does thee want my house? It's kind of a trick question, wasn't it? That reminds me of one more question we toss around from time to time. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. Being content in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, is a learned quality. It's a, it's a learned quality that is, real, that is rooted, now listen carefully, that is rooted in realizing that God is sovereign. That God is on His throne no matter what happens. And that God can be trusted. God is sovereign. He has everything under control. God can be trusted. He's always looking out for our best. We spend time with God. We must spend time with God and believe that He is in control, that, that, that 
He's in, he's, in, he's in control of everything that happens to me. So contentment's a learned quality. Second, contentment is not found in possessions. So that means contentment is not found in what we do not have that we would like to have, and for whatever reason we don't have it. We have a plague that riddles our culture and greatly shapes our thinking. It's the spirit of competition that is called uh, getting the next best thing, or sometimes we call it keeping up with the Joneses, or, or, uh, or however you want to put it. The calamity of comparing ourselves to others will kill contentment. Because we are never materially satisfied. We always want that just a little bit more. Because they have a bigger TV, I want a bigger TV. Because they have a bigger house, I want a bigger house. Because they have a home theater, I want a home theater. Because they're driving a brand new car, I want to drive a brand new car. We need to remember something. We know this, but sometimes we just have to be kicked in the side of the head and, and, and to hear it. There are people starving to death in this world today. There are people who will go home like we go home after worship and they will not have a single morsel to eat. And we're complaining about warming up leftovers. When will we learn contentment? What will it take to change our thinking? I heard about a Jewish man in Hungary who went to his rabbi and complained, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? And the rabbi said, take your goat and move him into the room with you. The man was in disbelief, but the rabbi insisted. He said, do as I say and come back in one week. In one week, the man came back looking more distraught than before. He said, we can't stand it. This goat is filthy. The rabbi said, well, go home and let the goat out and come back in one week. A week later, the man returned, beaming, exclaiming, life is so good, we enjoy every moment of it now that there is no goat. There are only nine of us. It's all a matter of perspective, isn't it? There, there. Maybe the next time you hear somebody complain, maybe we need to move a goat into their house. Maybe that's the secret to contentment. That's not what Paul says is the secret to contentment. Third, here's the secret to contentment. Contentment comes from focusing on Jesus. The word contentment comes from a Greek word that emphasizes independence. The Stoics took this word and made a supreme virtue out of it that described the person who accepted impassively whatever came. The Stoic philosophy promoted independence and self-sufficiency. Paul took this pagan word and gave it a higher meaning, a spiritual meaning. He, he said his sufficiency is found in Jesus Christ alone. Contentment comes when we rest in Jesus because we are totally dependent upon Jesus. And Jesus is our total sufficiency. Paul had learned not to be self-sufficient, but totally dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Have we learned that principle of Christian living yet? Have we learned that we must totally rely on Jesus and not ourselves? and not on someone else. Third, God gives me the strength to do all things. Look at verse 13. Highlight it, circle it, memorize it. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Instead of being self-sufficient, Paul said he found strength in Jesus alone. He's not boasting here. He's bragging on Jesus. He's bragging on Jesus and saying he can be content because of the strength that Jesus gives. Now the verb translated can do means to be strong, to be robust, to have power. Folks, I, I love... From a spiritual perspective, I love to hear a spiritual, can-do, positive attitude. Too often, when new ideas are suggested or presented, the first response comes, we can't do that. Or how can we do that? I mean, why can't we do that? Either, either because we've never done it that way before, or because we just think negatively instead of having a can-do approach. That will never work. That will never move a church family ahead. I think the word can't is the most destructive word in the English language. It destroys motivation. It stonewalls progress. It undermines walking by faith. It hinders the working of the Spirit of God in the life of the church. I can't do that. Why not? We don't know until we try. I heard about a strong lay leader in a Presbyterian church who formed the NSN Club. The letters stand for Never Say No. When you were asked to do something to serve the Lord, the response was, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Instead of saying, no, I can't do that, we say, I can through Christ because He's the source of my strength. And notice, notice three principles of a, a can-do spirit. First of all, I can if I want to. I can if I want to. Before we do whatever, we must desire to do whatever. Before we undertake that challenge, it's been so hard, we must have the desire to undertake that challenge. Someone said, success begins with I can. Failure begins with I can't. I can lose weight if I want to badly enough. I can save some money if I want to badly enough. I can work my debt off and get out of debt if I want to badly enough. I can address this health issue, whatever it is, if I, can, if I want to badly enough. I can get along with that difficult person if I do my part and I want to badly enough. At least be at peace as much as it depends on me, according to Paul. The question is, how big is our want to? And how big is our desire? Someone said, my potential is limited by what I think I can't do. So we kind of box ourselves in, don't we, when we fail to depend upon the Lord same in the spiritual realm. Listen to this. I can memorize this scripture if I want to work on it hard enough. I can learn to share my faith if I want to badly enough. I can take time to pray more deeply and more comprehensively if I want to reallocate my time badly enough. Where is our want to? How badly do we want to learn to share our faith? I, am I willing to be trained? Am I willing to attend upcoming evangelism training and then apply what I learned? You may have seen in the midweek, we, we have some training coming up October 2nd. going to be a one-day shot, a one-shot deal, but you need to take advantage of it. How badly do I want to reach more people from my grow group? 
How badly do we want to double the, the core of our first grade grow group? How badly do we want to, to, to reach out to the, to the folks right around our church family to, to, to include them and involve them? How bad is our want to? Am I willing to visit, to call, to contact? Does my grow group have an, an outward focus or are we totally satisfied with who we have and with where we are? How do we grade our want to, our desire? That's, that's where it starts. Second, second principle, I can if God wants me to. I can if God wants me to. Now be sure to notice in verse 13, verse 13 is given in the context of difficult circumstances. Paul talked about hard times and good times. About times of plenty and times of want. Folks, nothing comes our way that God doesn't permit in His permissive will to come into our lives. He may not send everything, but He does permit things to come into our lives. Yet, He gives us the strength to endure. And if you read the full context of God's Word, these things that He allows to come into our lives help to shape our faith and to grow our faith and to to grow our perseverance and to grow us deeper in the Lord. But He gives us the strength to endure. Albert Barnes wrote that because of God's strength in daily life, we need not sink under any trial. We need not yield to temptation. We need not dread what is to come because God gives us the strength to face anything and He gives us the strength to walk through it and beyond it. Folks, that's good news. I must rely on the Lord. We must rely upon the Lord. So I can if God wants me to. When we say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, we understand that caveat as long as it's in God's will. As long as we're obeying the Lord. As long as it's grounded in the Word of God and the will of God. Third, I can do it if God is in it. This is what I was just saying. Sometimes this verse is taken out of context. This verse doesn't mean that you can do everything you want to do. Back in the day, I can't believe now I'm saying this like it's ancient history, and it is. When I played church softball, man, I had such a good time playing church softball, but I really wanted to hit a ball over the fence at McCurry Park. I wasn't built that way. I was lucky to hit the ball over the shortstop's head. But I was fast. If I could get on, then I could score when somebody else hit the ball in the gap and the ball rolled to the fence. But I always wanted to. But I, I just couldn't. I'd love to run a 28-minute 10K like those professional runners. Do you realize that's 6 miles and 0.2, 6.2 miles? Do the math. In 28 minutes? I'm lucky to run at this point a 9.5-minute mile, and that's on a good day. Anything that God leads you to do, anything that God wills you to do, you can do in Christ's strength. In the context of Philippians 4, in the context of Philippians 4, I can be content. I can have the peace of God. I can think pure thoughts. I can get along with others as much as it depends on me. 
I can stand firm when tough times come. I can develop and keep a focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so can each of you. J. Vernon McGee wrote, Whatever Christ has for you to do, He will supply the power. Did you hear that? Whatever Christ has for you to do, He will supply the power. Whatever gift He gives you, He will give you the power to exercise that gift. As long as you function in Christ, you will have an endless supply of power. So we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If God is in it, then I can do it. So what does it take? It takes faith in the power of God. Sometimes when we say, I can't do this, that's a direct reflection on how big our God is in our heads and in our minds. We know God has unlimited power. He's a great God. He has mighty power. And He shares that power with us. It takes trust in our all-powerful Heavenly Father. It takes living in Christ every second of every moment of every day, day by day, moment by moment, walking with Jesus, keeping our focus on Jesus, tapping into the power of Jesus. Let me ask you something. Is there something hindering God's great power in your life this morning? I was trimming my shrubs yesterday. with an extension cord plugged into the wall. I cut the cord. 50-foot cord. Man, it was a good cord. The cord caught in my trimmer. I couldn't get it out. And so, I cut the cord here, and I cut the cord here. And I got this much cord caught in my 16-inch trimmer. So I take it to Fayette Mower. The guy at Fayette Mower says, this young guy who hasn't a clue, he says, man, where'd you get that? That looks like a 1970s model. I said, I remember the 70s. It was a great decade. He said, I've got a battery-powered trimmer, 18 inches over here on the wall that runs circles around that little thing you call a tremor. I said, well, show it to me. So it was over there. You just pick it up and you squeeze something on the handle and supposedly it, I mean, you know, it's just, I, didn't, I think you still have to hold it and use it. But $269 worth of tremor. It's a steel, S-T-I-H-L, it's a steel. So he helps me get the little bit of cord that's left in the trimmer out of the trimmer so I can use my Sears and Roebuck Kenmore. It's a 1990-something model, okay? It still works, but I still have to not cut the power cord. So I go into the house after all of this, and I flip on the lights in the kitchen, and they're not on. Now, what in the world is this all about? And so I go down to the box, and... I guess when I cut the power cord, it threw a breaker, and, and so I hit the breaker, but now my ceiling fan doesn't work. And that thing is as high as this ceiling, and my ladder is only eight feet. And I got a light bulb up there that needs to be changed anyway that I can't reach either. So 
I got power in the kitchen, but I don't have power in the fan. But thank goodness we have power in the blood. Listen, is something broken between your power source and your life that's hindering your power? Is there something going on in your life that you need to take care of this morning? So you can say, I can do all things through Christ, my source of power, the focus of my life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is there a break in your connection? Maybe you're not given enough time and priority to serious prayer. Or maybe there's unconfessed sin. That'll break the power source, the flow of power every time. Unconfessed sin. Or maybe there's a lack of faith in your life. And that's, that's hindering, that, that's putting a kink in the power source. Maybe there's a critical spirit. Or maybe there's a lack of forgiveness. Or maybe there's a, a specific spiritual problem that if you were to dig deep enough into your heart, you would see what that problem is. And that's what's hindering the power source in your life. We need to confess those things at this time of invitation this morning, folks. Because we need the power of God in our lives and we need the power of God in this church. We can't cut the cord when we're about the work of the Lord. We need His power. You may be living in disobedience. Listen, we can't expect God to bless our lives if we're living in disobedience. If we're not committed, if we're not dedicated... If we're playing games, if our relationship with God, God invites you this morning as we examine our lives to take a step toward Him. To take a step to Him. To repent and come back to Him. To, to confess, to repent. It all starts with taking a step towards God. Moving from disobedience to obedience. Living in God's power. Maybe you've wandered far from God. Turn back to God this morning and be sincere and serious about it. Maybe you've grown cold and slack in your commitment. Repent. Come back to your first love. Courageously embrace your first love, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. That's the starting point, as we said earlier. Come to Jesus as your Savior, asking for forgiveness, turning from your life of rebellion and your lack of commitment, coming to Jesus and receiving His gift of eternal life. Let us help you with that decision if you have not yet made that decision. You can reach out to me online if you're watching this morning. We'll be glad to get in touch with you, to pray with you, to share with you. Take this seriously. Don't let the power of God be hindered in your life and keep you from living daily in His strength. Father, thank You so much for what You teach us in Your Word. The Lord, for the way that You move, the way You speak, the way You share. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, forgive us, forgive us, Lord, when we try to do things on our own when we try to live in our own power, when we try to live in our own strength, when we try to, to, um, we'll try to do life by ourselves, Lord, that's not the way you designed us. And we know that's not your will for our lives. Lord, we pray for folks to come to Jesus this morning, 
to accept Christ as Savior. And we pray, Lord, that You would be with us as we leave this place and help us to take all of this seriously and to apply it in our daily lives, Lord, each day, starting this afternoon, Lord, to make sure that we can say from a spiritual perspective, based on the will of God and obedience to God, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, continue to work in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.